0: Book the Second, Part Four of A Lay by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Second, Part Four. To return for a while to George Somerset. The sun of his later existence having vanished from that young man's horizon, he confined himself closely to the studio, superintending the exertions of his draftsmen, Bowles, Knowles, and Cockton were now in the full swing of working out Somerset's creations from the sketches he had previously prepared. He had so far got the start of Havel in the competition that, by the help of these three gentlemen, his design was soon finished. But he gained no unfair advantage on this account, an additional month being allowed to Havel to compensate for his later information. Before scaling up his drawings, Somerset wished to spend a short time in London and, dismissing his assistant till further notice, he locked up the rooms which had been appropriated as office and studio, and prepared for the journey. It was afternoon. Somerset walked from the castle in the direction of the wood to reach Markton by a detour. He had not proceeded far when there approached his path a man riding a bay horse with a square-cut tail. The equestrian wore a grizzled beard, and looked at Somerset with a piercing eye as he noiselessly ambled nearer over the soft sod of the park. He proved to be Mr. Cunningham Hayes, chief constable of the district, who had become slightly known to Somerset during his sojourn there. One word, Mr. Somerset, said the chief, after they exchange of nods of recognition, reining his horse as he spoke. Somerset stopped. You have a studio at the castle in which you are preparing drawings? I have. Have you a clerk? I had three till yesterday, when I paid them off. Would they have any right to enter the studio late at night? There would have been nothing wrong in their doing so. Either of them might have gone back at any time for something forgotten. They lived quite near the castle. Ah, then all is explained. I was riding past over the grass on the night of last Thursday, and I saw two persons in your studio with a light. Must have been about half past nine o'clock. One of them came forward and pulled down the blinds so that the light fell upon his face. But I only saw it for a short time. If it weren't Knowles or Cockton, he would have had a beard. He had no beard. Then it must have been Bowles, a young man? Quite young. His companion in the background seemed older. They're all about the same age, really. By the way, it couldn't have been Dare and Havill, surely. Would you recognise them again? The young one, possibly. The other not at all, for he remained in the shade. Somerset endeavoured to discern in a description by the chief's constable the features of Mr Bowles, but it seemed to approximate more closely to Dare, in spite of himself. I'll make a sketch of the one who had no business there and show it to you, he presently said. I should like this cleared up. Mr Cunningham Hayes said he was going to Toneborough that afternoon but would return in the evening before Somerset's departure. With this they parted. A possible motive for Dare's presence in the rooms had instantly presented itself to Somerset's mind, for he had seen Dare enter Havel's office more than once, as if he were at work there. He accordingly sat on the next stile, and, taking out his pocket-book, began a pencil-sketch of Dare's head to show to Mr Hayes in the evening. For if Dare had indeed found a mission with Havel, or, as his agent, the design was lost. But he could not make a drawing that was a satisfactory likeness. Then he luckily remembered that Dare, in the intense warmth of admiration he had affected for Somerset on the first day or two of their acquaintance, had begged for his photograph, and in return for it had left one of himself on the mantelpiece, taken, as he said, by his own process. Somerset resolved to show this production to Mr Hayes as been more to the purpose than a sketch, and, instead of finishing the latter, proceeded on his way. He entered the old overgrown drive which wound indirectly through the woods to Markton. The road, having been laid out for idling rather than for progress, bent sharply hither and thither among the fissured trunks and layers of horny leaves which lay there all the year round, interspersed with cushions of vivid green moss that formed oases in the rust-red expanse. Reaching a point where the road made one of its bends between two large beeches, a man and woman revealed themselves at a few yards' distance, walking slowly towards him. In the short and quaint lady he recognised Charlotte de Stancy, whom he remembered not to have seen for several days. She slightly blushed and said, Oh, this is pleasant, Mr. Somerset. Let me present my brother to you, Captain de Stancy of the Royal Horse Artillery her brother came forward and shook hands heartily with somerset and they all three rambled on together talking of the season the place the fishing the shooting and whatever else came uppermost in their minds captain de Stancy was a personage who would have been called interesting by women well out of their teens he was ripe without having declined a digit towards fogeyism he was sufficiently old and experienced to suggest a goodly accumulation of touching amourettes in the chambers of his memory, and not too old for the possibility of increasing the store. He was apparently about eight and thirty, less tall than his father had been, but admirably made, and his every movement exhibited a fine combination of strength and flexibility of limb. His face was somewhat thin and thoughtful, its complexion being naturally pale, though darkened by exposure to a warmer sun than ours. His features were somewhat striking, his moustache and hair raven black, and his eyes denied the attributes of military keenness by reason of the largeness and darkness of their aspect, acquired thereby a softness of expression that was in part womanly. His mouth, as far as it could be seen, reproduced this characteristic, which might have been called weakness or goodness, according to the mental attitude of the observer. It was large and well formed. "'and showed an unimpaired line of teeth within. "'His dress, at present, was a heather-coloured rural suit "'cut close to his figure. "'You knew my cousin, Jack Ravensbury,' he said to Somerset as they went on. "'Poor Jack, he was a good fellow.' "'He was a very good fellow. "'He would have made a parson if he had lived. "'It was his great wish. "'I, as his senior, and a man of the world, as I thought myself, "'used to chafe him about it when he was a boy.' "'and tell him not to be a milksop, but to enter the army. But I think Jack was right. "'The Parsons have the best of it, I see now.' "'They would hardly admit that,' said Somerset, laughing. "'Nor can I.' "'Nor I,' said the Captain's sister. "'See how lovely you all looked with your big guns and uniform "'when you entered Markton, "'and then see how stupid the Parsons look by comparison "'when they flock into Markton at a visitation.' "'Ah, yes,' said De Stancy. Doubtless that it is a brilliant masquerade, but when of the first sight you've had your fill, it pulls, at least it does so upon me, this paradise of pleasure and ennui. When one is getting on for forty, when we have made our love and gamed our gaming, dressed, voted, shone, and maybe something more, with dandies dined, heard censers declaiming, seen beauties brought to market by the score, and so on, Ha! <laughs> there arises a strong desire for a quiet old-fashioned country life in which incessant movement is not a necessary part of the programme. But you are not forty, Will, said Charlotte. My dear, I was thirty-nine last January. Well, men about here are youths at that age. It was India used you up so when you served in the line, was it not? I wish you had never gone there. So do I, said de Stancy dryly but I ought to grow youth again like the rest, now I am in my native air. They came to a narrow brook, not wider than a man's stride, and Mr. Stancy halted on the edge. Why, Lottie, you used to jump it easily enough, said her brother, but we won't make her do it now. He took her in his arms and lifted her over, giving her a gratuitous ride for some additional rides, and saying, You are not a pound heavier, lot than you were at ten years old. "'What do you think of the country here, Mr. Somerset? "'Are you going to stay long?' "'I think very well of it,' said Somerset. "'But I leave tomorrow morning, which makes it necessary "'that I turn back in a minute or two from walking with you.' "'That's a disappointment. "'I'd hoped you were going to finish out the autumn with shooting. "'There's some very fair to be got here on reasonable terms. I've just heard.' But you need not hire any?' spoke up Charlotte. "'Paula would let you shoot anything, I'm sure.' "'She's not been here long enough to preserve much game, "'and the poacher's had it all in Mr Wilkins' time.
1: "'But what there
0: is, you might kill with pleasure to her.' "'No, thank you,' said De Stancy grimly. "'I prefer to remain a stranger to Miss Power. "'Miss Power, she ought to be called, "'and to all her possessions.' "'Charlotte was subdued, and did not insist further. "'While Somerset before he could feel himself able to decide on the mood in which the gallant captain's joke at Paula's expense should be taken, wondered whether it were a married man or a bachelor who uttered it. He had not been able to keep the question of DeStancy's domestic state out of his head from the first moment of seeing him. Assuming DeStancy to be a husband, he felt there might be some excuse for his remark. If unmarried, Somerset liked the satire still better. In such circumstances there was a relief in the thought that Captain de Stancy's prejudices might be infinitely stronger than those of his sister or father. "'Going to-morrow, did you say, Mr. Somerset?' asked Mr. de Stancy. "'Then will you dine with us to-day? My father is anxious that you should do so before you go. "'I'm sorry there will be only our family present to meet you, but you can leave as early as you wish.' Her brother seconded the invitation and Somerset promised, though his leisure for that evening was short. He was in truth somewhat inclined to like de Stancy, for though the captain had said nothing of any value, either on war, commerce, science or art, he had seemed attractive to the younger man. Beyond the natural interest a soldier has for imaginative minds in the civil walks of life, de Stancy's occasional manifestations of tedium vitae were too poetically shaped to be repellent gallantry combined in him with a sort of ascetic self-repression, in a way that was curious. He was a dozen years older than Somerset, his life had been passed in grooves remote from those of Somerset's own life, and the latter decided that he would like to meet the artillery officer again. Bidding them a temporary farewell, he went away to Markton by a shorter path than that pursued by the distances and, after spending the remainder of the afternoon preparing for departure, he sallied forth, just before the dinner hour, towards the suburban villa. become yet more curious whether a Mrs. de Stancy existed. If there were one, he would probably see her to-night. He had an irrepressible hope that there might be such a lady. On entering the drawing-room, only the father, son and daughter were assembled. Somerset fell into talk with Charlotte during the few minutes before dinner, and his thought found its way out. "'There is no Mrs. de Stancy,' he said in an undertone. "'None,' she said. "'My brother is a bachelor.' The dinner had been fixed at an early hour to suit Somerset. They had returned to the drawing-room at eight o'clock. About nine he was aiming to get away. "'You're not off yet,' said the captain. There would have been no hurry, said Somerset, had I not just remembered that I had left one thing undone which I want to attend to before my departure. I want to see the chief constable to night. Cunningham Hayes? He's the very man I do want to see. But he went out of town this afternoon, and I hardly think you will see him to night. His return has been delayed. Then the matter must wait. I have left word at his house asking him to call here if he gets home before half past ten but at any rate I shall see him tomorrow morning. Can I do anything for you, since you are leaving early? Somerset replied that the business was of no great importance, and briefly explained the suspected intrusion into his studio, that he had with him a photograph of the suspected young man. If it is a mistake, added Somerset, I should regret putting my draftsman's portrait into the hands of the police, since it might injure his character. Indeed, it would be unfair to him so I wish to keep the likeness in my own hands and merely to show it to Mr Hayes. That's why I prefer not to send it. My matter with Hayes is that the the barrack furniture does not correspond with the inventories. If you like, I'll ask your question at the same time, with pleasure. Thereupon Somerset gave Captain de Stancy an unfastened envelope containing the portrait, asking him to destroy it if the constable should declare it not to correspond with the face that met his eye at the window. Soon after, Somerset took his leave of the household. He had not been absent ten minutes when other wheels were heard on the gravel without, and the servant announced Mr Cunningham Hayes, who had returned earlier than he had expected, and had called as requested. They went into the dining-room to discuss their business. When the barrack matter had been arranged, Distancy said, I have a little commission to execute for my friend Mr Somerset. I am to ask you if the portrait of the person he suspects of unlawfully entering his room is like the man you saw there. The speaker was seated on one side of the dining-table, and Mr Hayes on the other. As he spoke, De Stancy pulled the envelope from his pocket, and half drew out the photograph, which he had not as yet looked at, to hand it over to the constable. In the act, his eye fell upon the portrait, with its uncertain expression of age, assured look and hair worn in a fringe like a girl's. Captain De Stancy's face became strained, and he leant back in his chair, having previously had sufficient power over himself to close the envelope and return it to his pocket. Good heavens, you are ill, Captain De Stancy, said the chief constable. It was only momentary, said De Stancy. Better in a minute. A glass of water will put me right. Mr Hayes got him a glass of water from the sideboard these spasms occasionally overtake me said to stancy when he had drunk i am already better what were we saying oh this Affair of mr somerset's i find that this envelope is not the right one he ostensibly searched his pocket again i must have mislaid it he continued rising i'll be with you again in a moment De stancy went into the room adjoining opened an album of portraits that lay on the table and selected one of a young man quite unknown to him, whose age was somewhat akin to Dares, but who in no other attribute resembled him. De Stancy placed his picture in the original envelope, and returned with it to the chief constable, saying he had found it at last. Thank you, thank you, said Cunningham Hayes, looking it over. Ah, I perceive it is not what I expected to see. Mr. Somerset was mistaken. When the chief constable had left the house, Captain De shut the door, drew out the original photograph. As he looked at the transcript of Dare's features, he was moved by a painful agitation, till, recording himself to the present, he carefully put the portrait into the fire. During the following days, Captain de Stancy's manner on the roads, in the streets, and at barracks, was that of Crusoe, after seeing the print of a man's foot on the sand. End of Book II, Part 4.